0: What top performers such as Usain Bolt, Serena Williams, Albert Einstein, and Steve Jobs have in common? What allows them to reach that level of mastery in life? What makes them sustain their level of dedication, sometimes for decades, despite many obstacles? About five years ago, I made a discovery that gave me profound insight into these questions. It fundamentally changed the way I think about education work, and life. Today, I want to share with you how I made this discovery and why it is absolutely essential in our everyday lives. On a gloomy Friday the 13th, in December 2013, I received my PhD in Immunology from the University of Toronto. That was a very scary day for me, not because I'm superstitious, which I am, but because I was at a crossroad take advantage of a lucrative job offer and and continue in academia or go all-in with the company I had started just a few months earlier with little revenue to keep the lights on. The job offer would give me a secure source of income, career advancement opportunity, and the ability to pay my really hefty student loan debt. The company would give me fear of the unknown, more uncertainty, more debt, disapproval of my own family, and a stomach ulcer. As you could imagine, it was a really tough choice. It took me a whole 10 seconds to decide. I decided to go with the company, of course. It was a complete no-brainer. You smile. Why would I do something so foolish at the time, given the fact that I had zero business training? I didn't know what it was at the time. But whatever it was, I was certain I was going to continue. I couldn't bring myself to do anything else. There was something. There was an internal drive that pulled me. I obsessed over it all the time. I worked 16-hour days. Sometimes I couldn't even sleep at night because I was too busy trying to figure out what I wanted to do the next morning. I was driven by the autonomy, the challenge, and the purpose. I was intrinsically motivated. To give you a quick background, the company is designed to help students with admissions to highly competitive graduate and professional programs. I started the company because I believe everyone deserves access to higher education regardless of their racial, cultural, or socioeconomic background. But as I started my work, I realized something wasn't quite right about the admissions process. I couldn't understand how universities were accepting or rejecting students. Some students that seemed like fantastic applicants to us were not receiving any acceptance letters. On the other hand, some of the students that were receiving acceptance letters left, right, and center, didn't really want to be there. University admission screening is incredibly challenging. How do you select a few top applicants amongst hundreds, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of applicants while being fair to everyone? How do you select individuals who are genuinely motivated in the pursuit of the profession rather than those who are primarily looking for financial security, status, or chasing some other form of social pressure? I also realized that the answer to these questions would help me as an entrepreneur. You see, as an entrepreneur, a large part of my job is finding needles in haystacks. But at the time, I had no clue how to hire employees who were as passionate as I was instead of those who were just looking to make a quick buck. Most university admission screening tools use one of the following screening tools and practices. They use personal statements, standardized testing, situational judgment tests, and various forms of interviews. Interestingly, the screening process is very similar to most hiring practices. The goal is always the same, to select applicants based on their intellectual capacity and people skills. But as I searched for answers, I realized that I couldn't find any convincing evidence in the literature showing that any of these practices were actually able to predict future on-the-job behavior. Rather, at best, they were able to predict future test performances. The assumption here is that if students are good at taking tests, they're also more likely to do better in their future jobs. In fact, a quick look at history shows this is precisely how original admission screening tools were invented back in the early 1900s. Edward Lee Thorndike, a psychologist who became known as the father of educational psychology, was one of the first individuals who created standards entrance exams for colleges and even law schools. He believed if students are good in one area, such as achieving high grades, they are also more likely to do better in their future jobs and future college programs. But this was a really weird and curious conclusion, even at the time, because his own research had demonstrated that there was little to no correlation between standardized test performance and future on-the-job behavior. Nevertheless, since his time, as I mentioned, many various formats of admission screening tools and practices have been introduced with little progress. They include personal statements, grades, standardized testing, and the use of hypothetical questions. Hypothetical questions are normally used in order to assess applicants' people skills, or professionalism. They're commonly used in situational judgement tests and in about 47 different formats of interviews, such as structured interviews, unstructured interviews, open-file interviews, closed-file interviews, mini-interviews, even giant interviews. Okay, there's no such thing as a giant interview, but trust me, all the other ones actually do exist, and the point is this. There's been little progress since Thorndike's time. Most of these practices are not able to predict future on the job behavior. Even worse is the fact that some of these practices have been shown over and over and over again in the literature that they cause profound bias against individuals who come from low income families or those who come from minority groups. So the question is, why aren't these practices as effective as intended? Why are they causing such profound bias? I believe there are two reasons. One, because most of these practices are just selecting really good test-takers by design. And two, because motivation directs behavior, not test scores or people skills. Motivation directs behavior. Motivation comes in two broad flavors, extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation, as defined by the pioneers of the self-determination theory, Edward D.C. and Richard Ryan. Extrinsic motivation is the desire to engage in an activity due to external factors such as wealth, social pressure, or fear of punishment. Perhaps some of you remember how when you were younger, your mom and dad would try to motivate you to get you to do your really boring math homework with some form of a reward. Maybe they would offer to double your weekly allowance, or maybe some form of a punishment. Maybe they would say you'll be grounded for a couple of weeks. And, of course, the minute the pressure was gone, you would go back to avoiding that really boring math homework and maybe start watching your favorite video games instead. Now, on the other hand, intrinsic motivation is the desire to engage in an activity due to the fact that the activity itself is enjoyable. There is no need for external rewards or punishment. Some of you probably also remember how when you were younger, you would spend countless number of hours playing your favorite video games, instead of doing that really boring math homework. In fact, I have a confession. This is exactly how I became really, really good at playing both Super Mario and Mortal Kombat. I I learned all the moves in about a day and a half, including those complicated backflips that you get in Mortal Kombat. the reality is, at the end of the day, I had to drop first-year physics because apparently none of those complicated moves have anything to do <laughs> with real, real-world physics. Now, that's a clear example of intrinsic motivation. The activity continues without the need for any external factors. In fact, sometimes the activity persists, the desire and the engagement persist despite the threat of punishment and at great expense to individuals. This is how top performers are able to maintain their dedication for decades and achieve that level of mastering life. This is what is used to reach what is called the state of flow in psychology, or normally known as being in the zone. Now you may be thinking, why does it matter if individuals are motivated via carrots and sticks versus internally? Well, it turns out that it matters a great deal because over 40 years of research has demonstrated that individuals who are intrinsically motivated perform better. They're more resilient, they experience less burnout, and most notably, they show greater life and job satisfaction. Given the plethora of evidence in literature, I hypothesize that perhaps the reason current admission screening tools are not as effective as originally intended is because they're not able to detect the level of intrinsic motivation in applicants. This is the hypothesis that led me to the founding of my second social company and eventually down the journey of researching and developing motivation-based admission screening. As part of this journey, one of the first things we did was three independent studies of medical school students and residents in the U.S. and Canada. We wanted to see whether or not admission screening in medicine is able to detect the level of intrinsic motivation in applicants. We chose medicine intentionally because despite the use of very stringent selection criteria, the level of professional misconduct and burnout remain of great concern to the profession. When we first analyzed our results, we found them quite shocking. We learned three lessons. One was the observation that the majority of accepted applicants appeared to be externally motivated by anything such as wealth, status, or other sorts of social pressure. Only 25% of applicants reported to be purely intrinsically motivated and were willing to continue in pursuit of medicine without any concern for financial gains. At first, we remained a bit skeptical, so we looked further to see whether or not anyone else had published similar results. Eventually, we found a publication by the American Association of Medical Colleges that showed a very similar pattern. In their study, only 22% of graduating medical students indicated that income had zero influence in their decision to choose a future specialty program. Now, to be clear, everyone must be compensated fairly. That's not a question at all. The question is whether individuals are motivated Uh, via external factors, such as wealth, or internally, for the reasons I explained earlier. Our second observation was the troubling observation that the majority of accepted applicants appear to come from really wealthy families when compared to the general population. This is something that's been reported for decades now in the literature, and remains prevalent in most professional programs. Furthermore, It does not appear that the bias is due to access to paid coaching programs by the wealthy, because our data clearly showed that lower income individuals were as likely to use paid coaching programs as higher income individuals. Now, there is a good ending to this story. The third finding was the remarkable observation that intrinsic motivation does not correlate with gender, it does not correlate with race, It does not correlate with cultural background, and it does not correlate with wealth. Therefore, I believe the best way to select top performing applicants, while at the same time promoting diversity, is with the use of motivation-based admission screening. In fact, I believe this is the best way for us to hire employees. I'll go even further and say this is how we should run our own lives as individuals. Now, I'm not saying other attributes don't matter. They matter a lot and they're essential. What I'm saying is they're not sufficient on their own. What good are individuals who have fantastic standardized test scores and remarkable people skills if they're not motivated to do their jobs? If you're an admissions professional, I have vast admiration and respect for your impossible task. Next time you're thinking about rejecting someone, look beyond the applicant's standardized test score cutoff marks, or their past experiences, or whether or not they could have answered some hypothetical question. If you're an employer or an entrepreneur, Look beyond the applicant's past experiences or the brand name of the university they've attended. You see, the status quo is an impediment to progress. Instead, look for individuals who are intrinsically motivated because these are the individuals who are going to work with you with their own blood, sweat and tears and get better over time while finding great satisfaction in doing so. If you're a student or an employee, ask yourself this question. What would you be doing right now if you had an infinite amount of time and money? Now, be honest with yourself, not necessarily with me, or the person sitting next to you, or even your own family and friends. Be honest with yourself and experiment to find the activities you find enjoyable and willing to continue without the need for any external rewards or punishment. Perhaps you want to be an entrepreneur like Steve Jobs. Or maybe you're thinking of becoming a physicist like Albert Einstein. Maybe you want to be an athlete like Usain Bolt or Serena Williams. Maybe you want to travel the world. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that when you find your answer, you get to work and you get to work today. Because when you do that, two wonderful things happen. One, you're more likely to master your craft and as a result, create a fulfilling career for yourself. And two, this is what I believe will lead to your long-term happiness. The best part? You don't even need to take any form of standardized testing or learn any complicated Mortal Kombat moves to know that. Thank you.